welcome to the Jewish's podcast. I have been waiting for this episode for quite a while. I'm so excited to be back and hopefully more consistently. My weekly schedule has been a bit off, but we're going to ignore it. I'm super excited for today's episode. It covers one of my favorite tools and items in the entire world, and that's candles. Obviously, I'm Jewish and therefore I love them, but I also make and sell candles, which is really exciting. Um, I know that I have a couple people who do actually have my candles. Someone sent me a picture a couple days ago and my response was, it's wild to see them out in the wild. It's, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing to me that my candles exist other places. Um, let's do some podcast housekeeping before we dive in. I know people either really love or really hate my short intros, Let me know which one you prefer. If you want me to talk about my day and those sort of things, I'm happy to do it. But it seems people like the short intro, just diving into what needs to be... I don't know why my brain just said divined. Uh, (laughs) What needs to be dove into. So I want to remind you all that I have a Patreon where you can support me and therefore support the podcast. You can also request specific podcast episodes in my DMs on Patreon. I haven't made the podcast email for which questions just yet. So at the moment, you can send me audio clips through anchor.fm slash jewitches. Now, I want to let you know there's been a very exciting update. If you are a Spotify user, which in fact most of my podcast listeners are from Spotify, um... You can now leave a rating before it was only the Apple podcast ratings, but now Spotify has ratings as well, which is really, really, really exciting to me. It means so much to know that people actually interact. Um, I'm going to check right now what they are. Maybe we can see a before and after. I don't think we can. Let's see. Um, ah! Okay. As of right now, there are 23 five-star ratings on the Jewish's podcast as I'm recording this. So... You can go ahead and leave a rating if you'd like. It would mean the world to me. So now we have very, very important bit of housekeeping, which comes from last week's episode. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, you absolutely should. We cover dragons and mermaids. Some lovely listeners were so kind to point out that I missed two very important discussions during the episode, and actually a third one that I forgot to write into the actual script. But One is the great dragon debate of Tumblr and the questions of whether or not mermaids would be kosher. So before we start on candles, we are going to cover those two topics specifically. The great dragon debate uh, started on Tumblr, but it has now moved to all corners of the internet. So I'll read you the original transcript of the post. It was created by the-independent-jew who has now deactivated their account. So they wrote, One thing I love about Judaism is that long-involved conversations about things like, Can a zombie attend shul? Or, Can I use my pet dragon to light candles on Shabbat? Or, Is meat from a replicator kosher? Are seen as completely normal. Sorry if you hear some background commotion in this episode. Um, I'm experiencing some very strange sudden onset knee pain. We're in, I think we're in a weekend now. Um, And I can't find a way to sit comfortably without my knees hurting really bad. And I prefer to record my podcast sitting on the ground. Uh, I find that it's better for the sound when I'm lower to the ground. I have no idea why. Maybe it's because it's less drafty, but I apologize for any weird sound in the background. 
So West Semite Blues responded, Yes, but it should avoid contact with a Kohen if it can, and if the dragon is a Gentile, sure, why not? A pet dragon is an ideal Shabbos goy, since it probably lives with you and will get a kick out of helping. If it's a Jewish dragon, though, no, it's better for you to do it yourself rather than cause another Jew to violate Shabbos. A driven leaf responded, Wait, wait, if a Jew owned the dragon as a pet, wouldn't using the beast's labor to light candles be explicitly, pretty explicitly prohibited? West Semite Blues responded, Good point. Is the dragon property, or is it a roommate? Hagar972 responded, I think it was ruled that one may allow a dragon to ignite a fire if the dragon is a non-sapient, and preventing them from lighting the fire would be animal cruelty, or B, the dragon is sapient, non-Jewish, and not in indentured service. Um, Ardatli responded, and one cannot bring a dragon into a household for the express purpose of lighting Shabbat candles at a later date, since the Jew would be directly benefiting from the dragon's actions on Shabbat. But if the dragon just happens to live there already and feels the urge to light candles, it should not be stopped from doing so. As the sages say, the same candle that benefits one can be used to benefit 100, which is Shulchan Aruch uh, Harav 2766. So there you have it. That is the great dragon debate. And before you ask, I remembered saying something from one of my favorite rabbis, uh, Rabbi Daniel Rutenberg. So to quote their amazing tweet, so if dragons were Jewish, sorry, no, we don't have split hooves and chew our cuds, the requirements for mammals, so we would ha- be trafe, not kosher. There's a good joke in there somewhere about dragons eating double bacon human cheeseburgers during their secular phase. Um, so that's whether or not it'd be kosher for, for uh, dragons. Now, whether or not uh, mermaids are kosher is the next great debate. There was a huge topic about this when I posted this on my TikTok So here are the arguments. Some people say that because they assume mermaids have scales, they are kosher as fish as long as they are prepared properly. But considering the Jewish premise that they are mammals, some say that they don't have their qualifications to be considered kosher under the umbrella of mammal. So for example, if you remember from last episode, the whole premise is that they have live young and are like mammals, which would not work for them as fish because fish are not mammals. Um... Now, some people suggest that only eating the bottom half of the fish would be kosher if it was slaughtered correctly and if it has scales. But I'm confused on that one because I don't think that's how it works. I personally would not say it's kosher. Um, And also, I'm saying that mermaids are not kosher because they don't fit the standards for kosher mammals. But also, eating creatures that you can procreate and have human children with sounds wrong to me. I also want to say there's another point of that idea of whether or not mermaids have souls to begin with. And this is one of the things that you see we are thinking about when we have that great dragon debate, whether or not they can, in fact, um, be Jewish, is whether or not they have the right kind of soul, right? Uh, As we all know that there are three levels to the soul. Um, There is essentially like the life force, the thing that makes you alive. And then there's the spiritual life force. And the idea that they do have a spiritual life force is heavily debated and they would require that to be even be Jewish. So whether or not they are actually capable of it, yet to be determined in my eyes. Though if you have a piece of text I haven't read, I'd love to hear it. Um, And also if you have an opinion on the dragon mermaid debate, please share. Um, I am always open to hearing more on the dragon uh, mermaid debate. It's a great one. So... Finally, let's get to why we're here. Candles. According to Rabbi Jeffrey W. Dennis, candles are a symbol of the human soul. They accompany Jews from birth to death and beyond. And I want to make it explicitly, explicitly, explicitly clear here. There are candles in almost every cultural belief, 
I, as always, will be focusing solely on Judaism and solely on the Jewish perspective here. And I would love to hear alternative perspectives, but what I'm talking about is a Jewish perspective only. For many Jews, candles are a constant staple. From Shabbat to Hanukkah, they are staples in our homes and in our practices. On a personal tangent, I grew up surrounded by candles. We would go to Ikea and we'd come up with hundreds of tea lights and those pillar candles. And power outages were not really a big, huge problem because we had candles in every room in the house. Um, I had one of those little, I still have one, those little uh, (laughs) taper candle candle holders. Like, you know, the old man in every old movie where you like hold it and carry it around the house like a Victorian ghost. Yeah. We always had them. Um, we also have dr- my mother's house and my own have drawers filled with lex- leftover mat- wax melts and all the melted bits from pillar candles that we remelt down and make new candles out of. Uh, the first time I ever took my significant other to Ikea, my mom asked for, quote, a few candles. And um, I've never seen a person so shocked when I grabbed a few candles. And I'm talking, you know, like 10 packs of tea lights, five to 10 medium pillars, about a dozen of the tall pillar candles. Um, they were terrified, shocked, and I just, it was totally normal to me. Uh, in our home, not only do they serve the aesthetic function, but the tea lights went on our Shabbos table, and my family is one of those families that lights a bunch of candles, but I will talk about that a little bit more in a bit when I get to Shabbos. So as I've said in Judaism, it is believed that candles represent the human soul. Um, not only do candles represent the human soul, according to Proverbs 20, 27, the life breath of man is the lamp of the sovereign, revealing all their innermost parts. And now it's kind of important that we define what a candle is. Hmm. My computer is turned to do not disturb, and yet they are disturbing me. So we have to define a candle. I know it sounds a bit silly, but the candles we know and love did not always exist. Historically, the candles we do know were made of tallow, which is an animal fat, before beeswax was commonly available. Wax-making bees are not native everywhere, which is something that I learned when I was far too old to learn it. I just assumed they were everywhere. They are not. Um, And before you ask, according to Chabad.com, tallow candles were allowed because while some tallow was not kosher, it was not consumed and it was the only thing available for a lot of people. I did some find some more conservative opinions saying that you shouldn't burn them, like tallow candles, when you're going to be eat or if there's food available. But historically, Jews used tallow candles too. They were far cheaper and more available than beeswax or plant wax ones. But those are just dipped candles. One extremely type of, uh, common type of candle is that of an oil one. Um, Jews still use them to this day. They're super convenient. You fill a little container with oil and stick a wick in it. You can buy refillable ones. You can make them yourself. You can buy disposable ones. Some people prefer them because they are less messy than regular wax candles. And then there's also those who claim that they are the only true Jewish candle. Um, obviously, to each their own, as I'm sure you guessed, I'm not in the oil candle boat. I love me a good wax candle, but I do think that they are beautiful. And I am considering getting myself an oil uh, Hanukkah for next year. So fire and light are commonly acknowledged as powerful within the Torah. But one of the very important parts about candles is that they require our action. They do not spontaneously light. We have to light and then nurture the flame, as opposed to sunlight, where the sun's coming up every day, whether we take action or not. So there are many, many applications for candles within Judaism, and I'm going to break it down by usage. Now, the first and foremost and the most common is that of Shabbat candles. 
At Shabbat, it is customary for at least two candles to be lit as we invite in the divine presence of Shabbat. While it is traditional for women to light candles, it is an honor that can be taken up by any person. Now, Shabbat candles are typically lit 18 minutes before sunset and not to be touched until they extinguish themselves at least 30 minutes after the setting of the sun, though many people buy much longer burning ones to guarantee their efficacy. Once we light candles, it is customary in many communities to wave the light towards oneself three times, then cover one's eyes before the recitation of the prayer. This differs, for example, in many Sephardic communities where the prayer is recited before lighting as opposed to after it. Um, it changes. So I grew up, uh, we say the bracha after we've lit the candles, whereas other people will say it beforehand. Uh, this is to invite the in the divine light of the candles, but also the divine light of the presence of Shrina, which we just invited in. There are variations of belief here that differ from community to community, so don't worry if your tradition varies from what I've said. There are many, so I'm just covering uh, two that I know, two that are more popular. So the actual type of candle used during Shabbat varies. Popular types include oil and wick, short and stout candles in glass holders, small tapers, tea lights, tall tapers. Uh, in truth, according to Rabbi Naftali Silberberg, all modern candles are kosher for Shabbat as long as they emit a stable flame, citing that previous prohibitions were regarding the way the candle burned. As Once the candle is lit, moving and adjusting it is prohibited. As far as choosing the candles, keep in mind that ideally one should use candles that will stay lit until after the Shabbos meal, Kitzur Shuchan Aruch 75.2, at a minimum, one candle must burn until it's dark so that one can derive some benefit from the candle, which is Mishnah Berurach 263.41. For someone who cannot watch their candles burn, using a birthday or 30-minute candle can work in a pinch. It is also important to discuss the number of candles lit. According to many, one candle is enough, but two is customary. Apparently, the two candles represent Zachor and Shamor, which are the two words used to describe Shabbat, observance in the Torah. However, there are other options. Some choose to light a candle, one for each child. Many communities encourage children, particularly daughters, to light a candle of their own as well. Some customs dictate that the girls begin at age three. Other customs include lighting a candle for each member of the family, as well as for specific people, places, and intentions. For example, one might light a candle with the hope of peace, another with the intention of sending divine light to a friend or family member in need. In some communities, there is a superstition that for every missed candle lighting, one more candle must be added forever. There are also some communities that believe that you may never light fewer candles than the previous Shabbat. I personally do not adhere to this, and I am a fan of different numbers of candles based on what I need for that week. Now, this is controversial, especially for people who really strictly adhere to this. And the reason that I feel comfortable bringing, lighting a different number of candles each week is, again, very similar to the quote that I read earlier, which is, one candle provides light for all. I believe that the intention I attach to one candle is just as powerful as the intention I light for every candle. But letting myself light as many as I need per week uh, gives me a better connection. And that's why I'm comfortable with it. Though I know that there are people who are cringing when I say that. I also know there are people who abhor the idea of adding new candles. But it is totally, totally up to your tradition. Um, I specifically grew up lighting. I had my own candle that was my candle. My sister had their own candle. It was just something we did. And now um, I light 
a bunch of candles every week. Sometimes it's literally just two, sometimes it's 16. It completely depends on the week. There are also some beliefs about whether or not you can blow out the match you light your Shabbat candles with. I grew up with the tradition that once you light your candles, you cannot blow out the matches at all. You have to place them down on a fire safe surface and then let them burn out. And no, pinching them out or waving them out uh, to blow them out still wasn't accepted. Uh, my mom has a tri- adorable little cast iron cauldron that we put in there. She keeps it near her Shabbat set, so we put it in there to burn out. But this tradition is not accepted everywhere. Um, as far as I've been able to find, it is most common within Chabad and Ashkenazi communities, where other communities are totally fine. You can blow it out, you can pinch it out, you can set it down, you can do whatever you want with it. There is also a debate whether or not it's acceptable to light a candle for Shabbat with a lighter. More traditional communities, as far as I've seen, say no, while others really don't mind. You can do whatever you want. I prefer matches. I don't know why. I, I don't think I've ever had to do Shabbos with a lighter, but I, I don't love the idea of it. I'm not sure exactly why. It just doesn't feel as traditional to me personally. So, just as Shabbat has begun with the lighting of candles, so does it end. During the closing ceremony of Havdalah, another candle is lit. Havdalah candles can be of so many gorgeous designs, from simple to incredibly intricate. The importance of the Havdalah kit is in the multiplicity of the wicks, each of it which sheds its own light. Some people, uh, especially in a pinch, can use two candles or two matches which are pressed up together, though um, some people will not feel comfortable doing so, but it is technically kosher. Now, the candles are some of the most gorgeous ones in the entire world to me. I personally sell two different kinds, well, about to be three different kinds, on my shop of the Havdalah candles, and they are the hand-braided kind. I remember when I was a kid and I went into a Havdalah candle store, and I was absolutely blown away by the way, the amount of designs and intricacy there are. So a lot of them are hand-braided, where it's wicks that are dipped in wax and then a um, bunch of them are braided together into intricate designs. There's also the type that are becoming very comp- uh, popular, which are a bunch of wicks dipped in paraffin wax, and then the candle itself is carved and the wax is twisted. So it still has the multiple wicks, but it isn't the same traditional braided design that we've seen. So one of the m- most popular uh, uses of candles is during Hanukkah. Uh, one popular custom in Sephardic and Mizrahi communities is only to use olive oil in the Hanukkah, as the traditional miracle took place with olive oil, not rolled candles as we have now. There is o- also a tradition in many communities of only utilizing one Hanukkah per family, which is referred to as a Hanukkah, not a Hanukkah or a menorah. To quote, when lighting, the custom as brought down by Maran Hacham Yosef Karum and his Shulchan Aruch is to start with the light on the right meaning on the first night when you are going to light, you begin with the wick closest to your right hand. On the second night, you begin with the wick adjacent to the one you lit on the first night, then you light the one on the first night. On the third night, you begin with the newest wick, then work your way back to the right, and is the manner on each night. By the last night, you'll be lighting that closest to your left hand and moving to your right, in the same manner we write English or any Western language. Since the custom is to use oil wicks and not candles. We light with a candle, and after the obligatory lights are kindled, the shamash, or extra wick, is kindled with the candle. The candle is then extinguished. This differs from the Ashkenazi custom of lighting the Hanukkah candles. Now, um, for Tunisian Jews, there is a custom that while the Hanukkah candles are lit, women may not participate in any work. 
and I think that's a fantastic tradition. According to my Jewish learning for Ashkenazi communities, the candles are placed in the menorah from the right to the left, just as Hebrew is written from right to left, but are lit from left to right. The shamash candle is always the first one lit and is used to light the others, starting with the leftmost ones. Think of it as lighting the candle, representing the newest night first. The shamash, interestingly, is the name of a Sumerian deity. Um, there is also the shamai method of adding your candles to your Hanukkah, and that starts with adding all of the candles and then removing one for each night. I posted a picture of last year's Hanukkah this year, and while the, and they were all lit, so I had a, quite a few people DM me and asking whether or not I was using the shamai style, which I, I was not. I just forgot to label it that it was from last year. So most of us follow the rulings of Hillel when it comes to this matter, but um, and that's what was referenced in the quotes I just read above. So for many holidays, it is customary to begin with the lighting of candles. In Horayot 12a, it is said that a person can use candle divination on Yom Kippur to find out if they will survive the year. My apologies for the parade of ambulances that just passed my home. Let's start over. For many holidays, it is customary to begin with the lighting of candles. In Horayot 12a, it is said that a person can use candle divination on Yom Kippur to find out if they will survive the year. So they light a candle, and if the candle burns all of its fuel, the person will survive. If it dies out before the wax or or oil is consumed, they will not survive the year. Should this person see their candle die and perform tshuva and light a candle that burns all the way through, the person will survive. This practice caused so much upheaval, it became customary to have all the candles lit in the synagogue and be cared for by an impartial tenant, so, attendant so that people could not see if their candles burned out and panicked that they would die before they had a chance to perform teshuvah. Now, this is specifically an Eastern European Ashkenazi practice. Uh, these Yom Kippur candles have an, a very deep history for Ashkenazi Jews, would, who would also take part in a practice of soul candles, or ner neshama, or neshama licht, in Yiddish. Feldmesterns, or cemetery measurers, were typically older women within the community, and they would walk around and through the Jewish cemetery, blessing thread as it is wound. Very often it would be done in groups or pairs, with one winding the thread as the other held the ball. Once the ritual of grave measuring, kevermesten, was complete, the blessing, the blessed thread is turned into candles. Um, this is known as Knedlechlegen. Oh, Knedlechlegen. My brain completely blanked on that one. Knedlechlegen. I have a resource linked in the caption of this episode, which actually has a specific practical guide on how to do this. I know that there are a ton of people in the younger generations who are doing it and starting to take on this practice. Um, And by the way, of course, I always have all my sources linked below, so I'll leave that down there. But from this amazing guide, we can read the descriptions from the philosopher Solomon Maimon on how his mother-in-law partook in this practice. To quote, coming home from Shul, synagogue, I didn't see my mother-in-law at home and found my wife in tears. I asked her why she was crying, but she didn't want to tell me anything. My mother-in-law then returned with tearful eyes and looking dejected. As I later discovered, she had gone to the cemetery where she threw herself on my mother's grave and begged her to forgive her sin. After that, she had the cemetery measured and a wax candle made, long as the scope of the cemetery, to lighten shawl. This is from Maimon Solomon Goldschmidt. Um, So here, his mother-in-law went to his mom's grave and then had the cemetery measured and had those candles lit in shawl. 
In Moisha Kolbuk's book, novel, Montag, set during the Russian Revolution, uh, there is a description of two failed missiles in Gnesa, which highlights the magical quality of the practice. To quote, they crawl down from their sleeping places, pour water over their hands three times with blessings, tie and button themselves up, and little by little take on the dead thread from the casket. Then they open the low, heavy door of the Tare house, and they come out into the cemetery. Oh, how the stars are shining. Stesia takes up the end of the thread and walks far ahead, and Ganesia holds the ball behind her, uncoiling it a bit by bit, and like this they measure the cemetery. Like this, the white thread stretches out in the darkness. It swirls and expands in the wind, which blows. It unrolls itself up longer and longer in the sky until it entangles the church spires and tall towers of the city. It catches the stars in its web, and so it spins and weaves and envelops the whole town in a dead thread. This is Moisha Kolbach, Montag, which is Warsaw, after Warsaw, 1926. There's another beautiful description of the practice, and this time it highlights the invocation of ancestral connection, which was found in the poem by Yiddish poet Morris Rosenfeld, which is in his 1904 collection, Gesamtle Lieder Feldmesten. So I'm going to read it here in Yiddish. I'm sorry, I'm going to read it here in English, but there is a Yiddish version in the link below. Forward goes old Mina, and behind her, Fesia Zweitl Mina cries and says the Trin, while the others lay the Knetl, and the tears roll slowly down, still and warm onto the Trin. Sobbing, but with scarce a sound, utters full of grief, old Mina. Powerful lord of all worlds, I, your weak, poor servant maid, measure where the wise ones lie, in peaceful dwellings, quiet graves. All the silent little mounds I measure now. O kind one, where are resting staunch and sound, your fervently loved children, who sings hymns there by your throne, in the heavens vast and deep, each one from their own abode, through their sweet eternal sleep. And from the wick which here I lay, will full with dread and horror make candles, God, your face its fay, but which to reach your Torah, by which to beg for you, you for forgiveness, that you should, despite all, hear Jacob's faithful prayer and witness Israel's devoted tears. So these candles, these uh, soul candles, were lit for Yom Kippur, but also for the healing and healing the sick and mourning the dead. Many modern Jewishes and spiritual Jews are reclaiming this practice and utilizing these candles that they make in a number of dis- different ways, including prayer or spell candles. I've gotten a number of DMs from folks who have made their own and use them as Shabbat or Hanukkah candles as well. Um, but another traditional use takes us into our next topic, which is yard site candles. The Yahrzeit, or Yizkor, candle is a memorial candle. Yah, meaning uh, year, and Zeit, meaning time, is just one word for the anniversary. It is also known as Mishmara, Ariat, Melado, Año, or Nahala in Sephardic communities. It has been noted uh, to me that Año is often used to specifically refer to the very first anniversary of the death, not the ones that come after. So since it's what I call them, I'm going to continue calling them Yahrzeit candles as we continue to talk about them, but that is not the only way that they are called. Essentially, these candles are lit on the anniversary of death or on a major holiday. Yard site candles are meant to burn for about 26 hours in honor of the person who has passed over. You can usually use a seven-day candle or if you buy a specific yard site candle from a Jewish section of your grocery store or from your local kosher market. If you're in an area that doesn't have any kosher markets and your regular markets don't sell uh, yard site candles, 
You can usually find plain seven-day candles in most specialty or international markets, at least in my experience. I usually stockpile them uh, when they're on sale, so I can always have them. Super useful just to have them around anyway. So everything we've talked about so far have been rather traditional practices found within most Jewish, Jewish communities, though there are definitely things that I haven't been able to cover. Because of how they reflect the soul, candles are often lit with intention for happiness, joy, protection, safety, healing, love, etc. Lighting a candle, often after reciting a blessing, allows a person to focus their intention. Many will inscribe the candles with sigils of angels or protective imagery like the Ein Hara, Hamsa, Megan David, fish, etc. Um, others will anoint candles with corresponding herbs, which can burn as the candles do do. So for example, cloves are traditionally used for protection. So rolling a candle in clove powder or sticking actual cloves into the candle is very popular. These candles, when lit with intention, are meant to bring a specific energy, just as the Shabbat candles wel welcome in Shabbat. Candles may be supplementary or used as a measuring stick for what how work is going in another aspect of a person's practice. There are also loads of methods of divination that can be utilized as the candle burns outside from the traditional one we see at Yom Kippur. Analyzing the candle as it burns brings insight into what it burns for. Does it burn itself out? Fold in on itself? Is there smoke? Does the candle drip? Do the drips create strange shapes? The interpretation is in the eye of the beholder and generally relies on intuition. What do you think the burning means? What do you feel that the shape represents? I always get a lot of questions about divination and particularly this aspect. What does blank mean? And while there are specific omens within Judaism, which a lot of them can be found in the Talmud, though they are generally speaking about dream interpretation, a lot of this sort of intuitive divination is based on personal experience and intuition. Let's say you see a raven in your candle wax, right? There are actual meanings for ravens, as in specific cultural ones, but what do you think it means? What emotion does it invoke? What thoughts do you have? Do you have a special connection with ravens? Do you have a weird experience with one of them? Is there something that comes to mind as soon as you see it? This is a very intuitive way of reading. It was one of my preferred methods because it allows for you to make a personal decision about what you're seeing. Um, and that is the conclusion of those. I think there is there is a specific love of candles that I find in Judaism that brings me so much joy because we make a specific distinction between candles used for aesthetic purposes or and candles made for utilitarian purposes and candles made for spiritual purposes. For example, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it, but Hanukkah candles are not supposed to be used as a source of light for work. They're supposed to be used for spiritual reasons instead. And I think there's something really beautiful about that distinction. And I love to hear other people's stories about candles. So before we get to sourcing, as always, I want to say thank you to someone who left a review on Apple Podcasts. So I want to say thank you to Chez Cherie, who left such a nice, kind comment. I promise I read every single one of them on the uh, Apple Podcasts. And plus, reviews, downloads, and subscribes are hugely beneficial for boosting the podcast. So make sure you follow me on all of your podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. I want to remind you that, yes, you can rate me on uh, Spotify now. That's a brand new feature, so I can't wait to see how that goes. And if you want to stay up to date with me, you can stay up to date with my Instagram, Jewitches, my Twitter, The Jewitches, or you can sign up on my website, Jewitches.com, as well as go to my Patreon. 
And now for sourcing, which again, you can find in the caption. We've got Vashti Media's The Forgotten Women's Ritual of Yom Kippur. We've got Chabad.com, Is Any Candle Kosher? OUKosher.org, Halacha, How Long Must Shabbos Candle Burns? Esafad.com, um, we have the Rebetzin Levine Hands-On Halacha PDF, and PullingAtThreads.com, which has the direct PDF download. Thank you all so much for listening. I will see you all next week. Bye-bye.